in the middle of October, this past October, I had the opportunity to take a retreat. I went to Duluth, Minnesota for a long weekend. And you know, before I go any further, I want to thank everyone at this church for being a church that invests in the renewal of its ministers and staff and lets them do things like take retreats. It's absolutely essential that we have that time in order to stay in the ministry. So thanks again. Anyway, I spent the weekend in a cottage outside of Duluth doing a life review with a coach. A life review is just what it sounds like. A chance to step back and look at one's entire life. The way the work began is that after a hearty breakfast, my coach sent me to my quarters where there was a roll of butcher paper laid out on a table. There was also a yardstick and I was instructed to draw a line down the middle of that paper and then using the yardstick tick off a mark for every inch of an inch for every year and so I began tick 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 and then I wrote down the jobs the moves the relationships tick 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 I wrote down the breakthroughs Strokes of luck, the terrible decisions, tick, tick, tick. I wrote it all down and I looked at all of it at once in one place. And after the timeline was complete, filled in with all the information about my life, which this process took a couple hours, a few hours, my life review guide came to my space and I began to tell her the whole story from the beginning. She's an Olympic quality listener and she asked questions. She poked at my framings. She drew connections. It was powerful. And I could not avoid seeing the places where I had made mistakes, where I had failed at jobs, at relationships, at vows I had made to myself. There was so much to mourn, to blame myself for. Tick, tick, tick. And I had to ask myself, what should I do with these? How do I make sense of this history of chaos and misbehavior? To live is to make mistakes. The more living we've done, the more mistakes we've made. In other words, to live is to have regret. There's a song sung by Edith Piaf, the, the French singer, called Non, je ne regrette rien. Pardon my terrible French accent. The title translates to No, I regret nothing. In the song, she sings, I set fire to my memories, my troubles, my pleasures. I don't need them anymore. No, I regret nothing, not the good things that have happened, nor the bad. It's all the same to me. If only it were that simple. But regret has a bad name. I hear folks saying all the time that they have no regrets. 
And that just floors me. It makes me wonder if they've never taken a chance or really if they're just not being honest with themselves. I'm going to use a few quotes by the Welsh and Irish poet David White in the sermon, and they're all taken from his wonderful book, Consolations, which I cannot recommend enough. Consolations by David White. Anyways, David White writes, To admit regret is to understand that we are fallible, that there are powers in the world beyond us. To admit regret is to lose control not only of a difficult past, but of the very story we tell about our present. And yet, strangely, to admit sincere and abiding regret is one of our greatest but unspoken contemporary sins. He's right. Admitting to having a regret or regrets is an unpopular position. How dare we be burdened with the knowledge that we've missed opportunities or did things that did not reflect our values. It's considered a weakness, uh, even a character flaw. In fairness, when folks say they don't, have, they don't have regrets, they may be saying not that they never did things that they wish they hadn't, but that they didn't stop there and just wallow in the bad feeling. That makes sense. We need to live our lives. But I still think regret is underrated. I'm here to say that I have a ton of regrets. And that's the result of a life lived with gusto, even when it was misguided. And I think if we don't think about our regrets, we're missing a rich vein of wisdom that could help us lead better lives. A good place to start when we're thinking about it is to consider why we did things and do things that we regret. Sometimes it's simple weakness. We feel diminished or entitled or exhausted. And we do something that's just convenient. Or just maybe the thing we do is so delicious that we can't help doing it, even when we know it's wrong. That's being human. There are also times when we do things that we know are wrong but we're caught in systems much bigger than us. In the Middle Ages, there were people called sin eaters. According to the folklore, when someone died, a sin eater would come to the wake and eat a meal off of the body, and in doing so would absorb the sins of the deceased. And that would allow the deceased to go to heaven with a clean slate. A sin eater ate that dead person's sins, much to the relief of the family. And I think about sin eaters when I think about the Jews in the ghettos set up by the Nazis. And in these ghettos, the Nazis relied on certain Jewish folks who agreed to be collaborators and act as low-level police, enforcing Nazi laws, turning in their people when they stepped out of line. Obviously, this is a despicable thing to do. But it's complicated. Consider the situation. There were very few choices for Jews in the ghettos. And the Nazis insisted that some Jewish person do that job. And I wonder, were the ones who agreed to work for the Nazis somehow sin eaters for the rest of their community? 
Did they take on the shame and the sin, the regret, so that nobody else had to? This is a really extreme version of moral injury. And just to remind everyone, moral injury is the wound that we receive when we do or allow to be done things that we know in our core are wrong. I think we're in an epidemic of moral injury these days because there are so many bad systems that we're stuck in, especially as citizens of the United States. You know, capitalism and militarism, institutional racism, and a lot more on that list. I can see folks would not want to spend time thinking about regrets. It's awful to regret the things that we know we couldn't control. For example, plastic is terrible for the environment from the way it's made all the way to the way it's disposed of. But it's really hard, almost impossible actually, to buy food that doesn't use plastic packaging. We gotta eat so we participate in the system that we know is wrong. So if the act of living automatically makes us accumulate regrets, how do we learn to live with them? During my life review retreat, my coach was all over me about the way that I spoke about my chaotic past. She didn't challenge the facts. What I did was what I did. But she patiently insisted that I talk about the past, my past, with less judgment and more perception. She wasn't, she wasn't minimizing my past, but she did ask about the situations that led to my behaviors. Was I in a situation where I had clear guidance? Did I get the support that would have helped me make better decisions? Was I prepared for the challenges I encountered? And I came to see that in almost every event that had a bad outcome, a job that ended with me being fired, a relationship that ended with hard feelings, in most every event, the answers to those questions about having support and preparation were no. I think a healthy examination of our regrets includes both an honest inventory and a compassionate reframing. My coach asked me to do something that I frankly found very difficult to do, to reframe my past, not as a series of failures, but as a series of learnings. Another way to put it is to ask, what invitation does an experience we had offer us? How transformative would it be if we thought of our regrets as invitations? Invitations move us forward. Invitations take us new places. Invitations are welcomes. If you're in this room, if you're a Unitarian Universalist, then I know that you're here in good faith, ready to learn from your past, ready to accept an invitation and see where it brings you. Regret can be good teachers. I want to return to David White again. He says, it takes a hard-won maturity to experience depths of regret in ways that do not overwhelm and debilitate us, but put us in proper, more generous relationship with the future. Except for brief senses of having missed a tide, having hurt another, having taken what is not ours, youth, youth is not yet ready 
for the rich current of abiding regret, which runs through and emboldens a mature life. Regret can make us bolder as we mature. For example, I have some serious regrets about times when I was not authentic. I'm talking about times when I betrayed my own identity, pretending to be something that I wasn't, or holding back from saying what I believe in order to get an acceptance or an affirmation. My regrets about that taught me that I must be authentic or I'd regret it. But being authentic is a risky business. And while I think it's the, the best practice, there's no guarantee that it'll be rewarded. When I first started as the interim minister at a UU church outside of Salt Lake City, the state of Utah was about to have a referendum on legalizing medical marijuana. Being a little enthusiastic and a little naive, I was only there in that position two weeks before I wrote a letter to the editor of the big daily newspaper about the referendum. And I was my usual blunt self. I said that in my experience as a veteran and as a chaplain at the VA, I saw how pot was keeping my veteran friends alive and sane. And I closed the letter by very dramatically saying, if you don't support medical marijuana, then you can't say you support the troops because you don't. So yeah, that was kind of a, well, that was a pretty heavy-handed swipe at the conservatives. But I figured there was no way that they'd print it. I mean, I was zero for 15 with the letters to the editors I had submitted to the Boston Globe. Well, what do you know? The letter gets printed two days later. But again, I figure no one ever reads the letters to the editor, so it's not an issue. Well, at this church, there was a church matriarch. And she was one of the founders of the actual church and was very old now, was, but was definitely the unspoken leader of the congregation. Her name is Connie. And I have been told by multiple people before I even arrived that if I wanted to have a successful ministry at that church, I needed to be on her good side. And I had called her and emailed her since I had arrived, but hadn't had a face-to-face -face visit yet. Well, the day my little letter to the editor was printed, I went into my office at the church, and the light on the phone was blinking. I had a voicemail. It was from Connie. And I thought, man, I blew this ministry already. So I listened to the message, and it went like this. Reverend Bob. This is Connie. I saw your letter in the paper. I thought it was great. Old people need pot too. <laughs> so yeah, that was a place where being my authentic self paid off. Doesn't always, but it's still the best way to be. You know, regrets taught me that. I have a core theology that everyone can change. Another way of saying that is that anyone can be redeemed. And I think redemption doesn't come without having regrets first. And here's David White with one more quote that I think speaks to this. He writes, Sincere regret may in fact be a faculty for paying attention to the future, for sensing a new tide where we missed the previous one. 
for experiencing timelessness of a grandchild where we neglected a boy of our own. To regret fully is to appreciate how high the stakes are, even in the average human life. Fully experienced, regret turns our eyes, attentive and alert, to a future possibly lived better than our past. To regret fully is to appreciate how high the stakes are in even the average human life. He's saying that appreciating the high stakes is a path to redemption. What we did in the past matters. And what matters even more is what we do in the future. Next week, Reverend Angela will be talking about the history we make, and that will, in a way, continue this conversation that we're having now. But for now, I want to leave you with a question as we look at our regrets. Will we define ourselves by the worst thing that we ever did or by the next good thing that we will do? Will we define ourselves by the worst thing that we ever did or by the next good thing that we will do? My prayer for us is that regret turns our eyes to a future lived better than the past. May it be so.